Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, we are going to sit down and talk with University of Missouri Assistant Professor of Clinical Family and Community Medicine and Assistant Professor of Orthopedic Surgery, Dr. Aaron Gray. Guys, we are going to talk about ACL injury reduction, and this is an absolute doozy. Dr. Gray is going to share with us uh, where his idea for ACL injury risk evaluation came from and why it's pertinent, you know, what he's looking at and why it's important. And it's really neat stuff. You know, he's going to get into what the test is and, and how it can be implemented and where it came from. It's really, it's really a fascinating idea. It's super cool. I think it's absolutely genius because it's quick, it's simple, the results are fast, and it's all associated with a video game. It's, it's really cool. I, I think you guys are going to like what he's doing. He's going to talk about how it works, you know, with the world of training. And then we get into what step two and three is when it comes to his, um, his evaluation. And we're, and we're going to get into it with both training and the research end of it. We're going to talk about what other things should be looked at, what other issues should be evaluated when we're looking to evaluate the risk of ACL injuries and where this project could lead and the directions that it could go in. And that's the stuff to me that I think is really cool. Uh, and, and Dr. Gray really just opens up and you know talks about where he's hoping that this whole thing is going, which is really, really neat to me. We then get into how evaluations can improve communication between not just strength and conditioning and sports medicine and then your orthopedic surgeons and physical therapists, but also including the athletes in there, which is, you know... The most important thing, whenever you're looking at any of these tests, evaluations, monitoring, whatever you want to call it, how can it drive communication is always the key factor. You know, and then we finish out talking about other evaluations that could contribute to return to play. And I think that this is where all of us in the field of strength and conditioning really look and we say, you know, we get to these certain points, but we don't really know where to go next or how we can make sure these kids are ready to go back into athletics, into competition after they've been hurt. And we finish off talking about that. You know, it's Dr. Gray is awesome. And I got to give a shout out to Dr. Brian Mann. Um, he hooked this up. And when Dr. Mann says, hey, Jay, you need to talk to this person. Uh, I'm ready to go that day, that minute, you know, whenever it is. So thank you, Dr. Gray, for thanking taking the time. Thank you, Dr. Mann, for hooking it up. I think the conversation was awesome. I really took a lot home from it. I hope you guys enjoy the talk as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Dr. Gray, thanks for being on with us today. Absolutely. Glad to, glad to join you. Brilliant. Well, you know, you're, you're out there in Mizzou, and the first thing that Dr. Mann said that we needed to talk about was uh, to get talking about ACL injuries and, and what we can do uh, around those. So let's, let's start there and work our way forward. Yeah. So, I mean, I became interested, um, in <clears throat> preventing, uh, or looking at prevention of ACL injuries and specifically in female athletes. Um, I guess a few years ago, um, and how it started is I was at some national sports medicine meeting and heard, um, Tim Hewitt and Greg Meyer kind of talk about a lot of their research and their approach on ACL injury prevention. And I was um, I was at home playing. Um, I had recently got an Xbox that had the Kinect motion sensor with it, and was like screwing around on some you know ping pong or sports game or something. 
and I realized that you know <clears throat> wow this is actually pretty accurate like when I move my and when I move my knees in and out since in knee valgus or varus like this actually seems to measure it and so because I had heard some of these national lectures from Tim Hewitt you know talking about um, a knee valgus angle um, with athletes specifically female athletes after a drop vertical um, jump and how that was um, you know, those uh, girls that tore their ACL and ACLs they had you know, increased angles of knee valgus. And I was like, huh, I wonder if we could actually work to, you know, build on what they've done in the lab and try to create something where we can take this out to the field, take it out to high school physicals, you know, take it to gyms and work on it. So something that we've been working on over the last three or four years, and I've partnered with um, some uh, professors in computer engineering and computer science. And so we've built out some, some uh, software where we've been able to go out to uh, high schools and measure athletes you know, and kind of um, identify those that have uh, increased um, um, knee valgus angles whenever they first land. And that's that typical, you know, if you've ever watched a junior high uh, girls basketball game and you see everybody out there and they're all jumping and their knees cave in together and almost touch, it's that same kind of risky pattern. And so um, what our hope with that is that we can um, work, you know, we're still kind of in the pilot phase, but that we can identify athletes um, that are at higher risk and then really, you know, get them on targeted kind of personalized injury prevention programs. Well, that's neat. So then the software then I'm guessing is almost like dart fish in a way. Yeah. So the cool thing is, is that, um, so since we're using the, the Microsoft connect motion sensor and so, um, and then our, um, kind of our computer science, um, people here have uh, developed their own software, um, to kind of, um, uh, improve on the, the the natural stuff that Microsoft the joint centers that Microsoft gives you and so we're able to get like immediate angles like as soon as it's done the the number pops up so there's no post-processing and that's your thing with a lot of technologies you know where you have to go back and you've got to get your mouse and you've got to click on the joints in every frame and draw the lines or something like this recognizes where the hip and the knee and the ankle is and it gives you that number right away so wait, so you're actually using like the video game console? So we use the Microsoft Connect, like the exact one that you'd play with your video game. We use that motion sensor that most people would set in front of their TV to play their video game. We use that exact same thing. We put it on a tripod, hook it up to a computer, and you can get on a, a foot-tall box, drop off, and jump as high as you can like you're getting a basketball rebound. And then we can give you, within two seconds afterwards, we're able to give you uh, something that we call the, the knee-to-ankle separation ratio, um, which kind of measures the distance between the knees compared to the distance between the ankles, which gives you kind of a, a, a good, a good, very good estimate on um, knee valgus angle. We're able to give you that right away. And so you could literally have somebody do it, and then five seconds later you could start talking to them about their specialized um, pro program. Awesome. So then what is the next step after that then? So you guys run through your test and you do these things, and then what exactly are you doing post? So we have, we have your X versus Y. We have that ratio. So now what are mm -hmm. we going to do? How are we prescribing? What are we looking at? And then what's the retest? Are we just going back and doing the same thing? Yeah, I mean, you know, so this, this, is, this is kind of still, you know, this was kind of our pilot phase to kind of prove the point that, okay, you know, can we, can we build this? Can we measure? And, you know, this is one measure, and so I'm not going to pretend to say that, oh, you can accurately prevent, you know, all ACLs with just one measure. I mean, I think that there's multiple, obviously, you know, there's multiple risk factors. There's, you know, core weakness. There's, um you know, single leg dominance, there's different kind of things. And so this is kind of the first test that we've built. And so we're currently trying to get funding 
to build other tests. And so it would be like a small suite of tests, you know, basically four or five different kind of motions that you would do. And then you'd be able to get a much more accurate picture as far as kind of more, you know, more detailed risk factors. And so, um, you know, what our current plan with this is we've, um, you know, we measured, I think, 170 something high school athletes over this past year at their different physicals or with teams. And it, it was really impressive. We have a nice um, kind of like bimodal. There's like kind of two humps as far as if you look at, at everyone and that those two humps is the males and females. And so it was really, really cool just to be to show that, wow, I mean, we all know that, you know, there's that difference from previous research, but our technology was able to show that, you know, really good. And so, you know, right now we're not intervening. We're still, we're still just kind of following everybody and we're going to follow them all up to a year and see who tore their ACL and who didn't. But, you know, in the future, as we can build out more tests, you know, then, you know, once you could, you, if you saw somebody like, hey, you know, you're, you have a lot of knee valgus, like we really have to work on your hip external rotation, your hip abduction, you know, and your core strength, then we would, you know, work on those strengthening programs. And then, yeah, then if you could retest people, you know, at three months, six months afterwards, you could potentially show that um, your, you know, your injury prevention program is actually, ha you know, your strengthening program is actually having real effects on how people dynamically move. That's awesome, man. You know, we actually talked with uh, with Mike from Sparta, uh, and we were talking about using these sort of things as a, gosh, what was the word that he used? And just basically, this is just the diagnostic to allow you to decide what you're actually going to do. So you could look at it and, and determine as the physician or the coach what methods you deem or means you deem most appropriate to help assist this athlete in their health and continue to improve that way. That's, that's pretty awesome. And it would almost be really like, it would be neater. Like if you guys are able to, and because you're dealing with student athletes, I'm sure that this is hard and you need to go through a bunch of paperwork, but you're in academia. So that's probably easier for you to do than for coaches to do, but to almost like keep all of that, you know, like what, Brian Mann does with soccer at Mizzou versus what Jay DeMeo does with basketball at Richmond versus what Dan Ramondi does with women's lacrosse at George Washington and just start looking and then maybe actually not just knowing like, oh, hey, you know, we have to have strong hip adductors and we have to make sure that the ankle complex moves right and firing timing and you know, all four walls of the core and blah, 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 all the things we talk about. But now it's like, well, they did the single leg hip bridge and they didn't, and they were all right. They double leg squatted and they didn't, and, and they were all right. So now correlation doesn't necessarily prove causation, and we all know that. But it would be really cool to be able to just, because it's it doesn't seem like this is hard to do. I mean, it's like, it's basically like setting up for your old bad prom pictures. You know, you just put it up on the tripod and say, hey, go cheese. And then you have the numbers. And it's, that's really fascinating to me. And you could have hundreds of programs, not, not, just, not just subjects of, of actual programs. And you could look and be like, what are the commonalities where there were issues later? I mean, like, even, like, what if tendonitis show up in specific things? You know what I mean? Like, that could be, like, that's, like, super cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, because we're really, you know, trying to bring that, 
you know, bring the expense, you know, the expensive lab based motion capture systems and trying to create something that, you know, yeah, every strength and conditioning coach across the country could use, you know, at one one thousandth of the cost. So, you know, if you look at an expensive motion capture Vicon system, you know, those are going to be one hundred and fifty, two hundred thousand dollars. Like the Microsoft motion sensor is like one hundred fifty, two hundred bucks. And then you need a tripod and a laptop. And that's that's all you need. And so, you know, the um, then that's really the whole goal with a lot of what we're, our work is to, is to take those, you know, kind of literature proven, you know, literature kind of validated um, lab based tests and see if we can translate that to something that, you know, you can just, yeah, literally just pop up within, you know, five, five minutes and you've got your setup right there. And I think your idea is like really great. I mean, because, you know, we're just trying to build this tool that way you know, build a tool where people can actually measure dynamic movement. I mean, because, you know, now people can, you've got your biodex and, you know, your things where you can measure, but there's really not any good ways to kind of accurately um, measure dynamic movement, you know, across different schools, you know, and, and then because you need to be able to measure it and then everybody can do their own thing and they can show, hey, look at this, you know, we're doing this and, you know, our, our athletes are now measuring this and they started here, you know, and talking about the um, you know, different risk factors for kind of other injuries. I mean, I, I, I'm a believer that, you know, the, when you think about those um, athletes, especially female athletes that show a lot of dynamic knee valgus whenever they um, uh, land off a drop vertical jump, I think that's kind of a continuum from patellofemoral pain onto patellar dislocators, you know, and then onto ACL tears. And so I think that, you know, too, I mean, this would be applicable to, I mean, I would love to, you know, do, do this in the future with, you know, a lot of like long distance running teams, you know, and see if we can find this yeah. correlation between, you know, those that are, you know, because, I mean, it's hard, you know, it's hard to do manual muscle testing and really say, oh, look, your hip, you know, for an athlete, your hip abductors are weak. I mean, you know, they all, t I mean, they're, it's just hard to tease that out. And we're really more concerned about this dynamic movement about, because when we say dynamic knee valgus, and this is an important point. I mean, it's actually not true knee valgus. It is much more hip internal rotation is what's going on. Because when we say dynamic knee valgus, we're really thinking about it. If you're looking at somebody from the front, so kind of just in a 2D plane about what you see. And really that knee doesn't, that, you know, that knee is not moving in varus and valgus itself. It's actually the hips that are internally rotating. And that's where, that's where, you're, that's where the problem is. Yeah, and carrying this into the next topic that we wanted to get into, this would be a great way to increase communication and involvement across, you know, the, the plane between the weight room and sports medicine. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think that, I mean, you know, I think that, you know, communication from strength and conditioning to athletic training, you know, to the physician is really one of those, those critical elements that unfortunately in a lot of our um, college, you know, um, athletic settings is kind of missing. And, um, you know, too often we have where, you know, it almost feels like, you know, um, uh, medicine has its own turf that they want to kind of defend and strength and conditioning has its own turf. But I think that for, you know, really to, for our athletes to succeed, we all have to like work together. And so I really, you know, I talk to people, I think about, you know, if we have athletes that are very healthy, but they're, they're not strong and they're not quick, like <laughs> they're going to be terrible. If we have athletes that are the strongest and the fastest, but they're getting injured every other week, they're going to be terrible. You know, so both of those things, we have to have, you know, strong, fast, quick athletes that stay healthy. And so if either one of those things fall through the cracks, then, you know, neither of us have achieved anything. And so, 
I mean, I would, you know, I really hope that we can, you know, my dream kind of a setup is that, you know, once a week you would have strength and conditioning coach, athletic trainer, team physician, all sitting down together, you know, talking about athletes, you know, that have injuries, athletes that they're concerned about, so everybody can be, you know, kind of staying in the loop. And part of the reason I think that it's so critical, those three points, those three uh, professions to meet together is that we all have our own um, literature. And there's no way that me, that I as a physician can know like your strength and conditioning literature cold and know athletic training literature. Like it's hard enough to stay up with my medical literature. And like as a strength and conditioning coach, like there's no way that you can like stay up to date on all the sports medicine like journals. And so I think even for that reason, you know, the one, the one example that I think of that is one of my favorite studies that's ever done was a study that was done um, in Scandinavia, I think in Norway, where it looked at um, hamstring injuries in professional soccer players. And they had the simple intervention of eccentric hamstring curls, which they call um, the um, Norwegian hamstring curls. And they just did that in a program, and it showed huge reductions of um, new and especially recurrent um, hamstring injuries. I think that I mean, I think if I remember off the top of my head, the number needed to treat to prevent a recurrent hamstring injury was like three athletes, and it decreased them by, you know, 80% or more. You know, and so that's a great example. Like, I can see that in my medical literature, and I'm like, oh, like, this is, this is huge. This is important. But, like, I'm not out there working with the athletes, you know, in, in the weight room or before games. And so, you know, I can read that, but the only way I can make that happen is by working with my athletic trainer, my strength and conditioning coach. And it's probably the same way on things that you guys see in your literature that's like, you know, this is actually more of the physician side. So, Oh, no doubt, man. A hundred percent with that. And then even more so, like, understanding where, you know, where we may come across something that is like, X, Y, and Z in the rehabilitation realm or whatever it may be, but what if it doesn't fit with what you're doing right now? Or what if it doesn't fit with the time or the place or the readiness of the athlete, you know, if, if they're not... So, for example, like the Nordic hamstring curls um, are getting a lot of attention, especially of late, because of new technology that's been developed where they can measure them and, and do all of these really cool things. But... As awesome as those are, are you going to take a kid who probably couldn't even do a, a leg curl with a Swiss ball and say, now we need you to do a three to five second eccentric with your <laughs> hips in line, knee to shoulder, and, you know, you're going to paralyze the kid. You know, like <laughs> they're not going to be able to do anything. And it's where, where those things I think are very important. I think that what we were talking about earlier, something – now, how how high is the drop that you're talking about for the test you run? So it's a um, it's a 12 inches to 31 centimeters. Right. Okay. So I mean, it's and it's just a rep, basically. Yes, yeah, so we try to get three like okay. accurate measurements, you know. And so I mean, any kid, I mean, so yeah, it's dropping off, you know, 12 inches onto the ground and jumping as high as you can. And so there's never been any reported injuries, you know, with that. And it's right. not like a super intense thing, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> True. Um, but it's. Even then, so a 12-inch depth jump, okay. Is that something that they need to be prepared for? Of course. You know, like all the, the literature, I mean, when you go back to Verkashensky, there's, there's requirements and this, that, and the other thing. But to do that as an evaluation, it, it could even prove more that it's when they have these general abilities, these general strengths overall, um, does that show up in these tests and now even more so prove what we're trying to get to, you know, like what Dr. Mann and I talk about all the time is 
the two things that always come up are how strong is strong enough and what's the progression. So how can we go, because we both have been talking a lot now and starting with one set with athletes because there's only so much that they need to get better, right? And if you do too much, then guys like you are really, you're just too busy. So let's let you sleep in so that you don't have to worry about this. Let's dose them as little as necessary early on and build them and build them and build them. Um, and then find what's the necessity for general strength before we start looking at special strengths, whether it be, you know, patterning specific based on, well, we're at these plateaus where we know this should take care of X, Y, and Z, but maybe it's only taking care of X, so let's start looking at Y and Z. Um, you know, and, and then bringing a test like that in to allow at least, because unfortunately, not every institution has a physician in-house. So at least it can bring your ATC or, you know, as lucky as I am, I work with our director of rehabilitation. Like, he oversees men's basketball. He's, he's a stud. And it's everything we do. It's like, so where are we going with this cat or that cat or the other thing? So I think that these tests that can drive programming so that even though we're still kind of in our silos, we're still working together to move all the grain to the top of the till. Um, I think it's really important. Yeah, and I think that, you know, one, one kind of also additional thing to that I think was important for that kind of team-based approach is, you know, accurately um, recording and measuring uh, injuries or, and, or limita even like limitations that occur. And then at the end of the season, going back and looking at that as a team, you know, because I think that, you know, um, what can happen sometimes is that you know, people can put interventions in or, you know, things can go. And then at the end of this, the season, if you're not accurate, accurately recording, you know, time loss or even just slightly limited, you know, injuries along the way, then you don't really know, hey, did this work? You know, was this just like a random variance that we had a couple ACL injuries and like there was no way to prevent it? Or wait, when we look back, we've had, we've had more hamstring injuries than we probably should have over the last few years. Like, what are we doing differently? And so I think that's a, another kind of piece to that team-based approach that's really critical. Oh, 100%. And it has to be communicated across both lines because if it's mm -hmm. not – because what if it's just the fact that, you know, like say you're doing – having these kids do some sort of it, – it's not a word, but like prehab in, mm -hmm. in the athletic training room, but they're also doing – four or five exercises similar in the weight room, is it a sense where it's addition by subtraction and you need to take things away? And the reason these injuries are occurring are, are because of too much stuff. You know, it's like uh, a week or two ago, Derek Hansen brought up the, the fact that there's hamstring injuries in the NBA now. Like it's, it's 30 yards, and it's not like a flying 30. Like, you shouldn't be hitting max velocities. Like, how are you popping hammies? if you're not really extending out and sprinting. So is it, is it a fatigue thing that we need to start monitoring more and being better with? Is it, you know, is, is it something that the sport coach now get, needs to get involved in because of volumes and intensities at practice? Or is it something that we can supplement by taking things away from one and putting them somewhere else? And it's, it's I think things like that, that's, that's what's fun to me, is figuring out where we need and where we don't, and, you know, where's the gas pedal and the clutch, you know? Um, but yeah, it, but I'm lucky. I've got a guy down the hall who I'll see here in 15, 20 minutes, you know, and, it, and it'll 
that'll be the conversation. So this morning, what did we see? Okay. What are they telling you? Okay. What are the numbers telling us? You know, what are whatever readings we're taking telling us? So let's establish where we're going. You know, and it's it's neat. It's nerdy, but it's neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that you know, as I mean, it, it, it's kind of cool too, as we are. As technology is allowing us to measure things easier, you know, with GPS monitors, with weird, you know, with the, um, with that, you know, I haven't seen one in person. But I've seen it online, you know, the Nord board that measures the, you know, the strength of the the Nordic uh, curls, you know, the stuff that we're working on. I think it's going to be interesting because we're going to have a lot more measurements of stuff, but, you know, measurements without any kind of context, you don't know what to do with it, doesn't, you know, give you anything. And so I think that's too what, you know, having having, um, you know, really somebody who is you know, pretty much, I mean, I think that, you know, you need like a sports scientist, basically, somebody who understands a lot, you know, a lot of this on all staffs, who can help translate that for, you know, for everybody else. So as you're getting all this, this data, like, what do you do with it? I really think that, I mean, you know, you see a lot of, I mean, you see most professional teams now who will have, um, you know, sports analysts, people that can, you know, really in databases can get all this information together. It's kind of surprises me that we haven't seen that really start to like um, spread out on in the university in the NCAA um, level. I think that that's something that um, kind of cutting edge programs are going to f- realize that wow, like that actually doesn't cost that much to you know to hire a few people that can better programmers that are analysts like that to start to do and you know to look at performance to look at injuries. I think there's a lot of, of potential for that too. Oh, 100%. And, like, I have to do that as a coach. So now you're taking away time and effort from doing these other things. You know, you would have to do that as a physician when you could be doing other things within your profession that are actually what your job is. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's – I couldn't agree more with that. I do think that that is stuff, especially being the guy who's been looking at readiness data, you know, heart rate data – questionnaire data and looking at 40 metrics, 50 metrics, and it's like trying to wrap your head around it. And then it's like, oh man, I got to go run a group. You know, it's like, <laughs> absolutely. You know, it's, it, it'll, it'll sit you, you know, it'll sit you down and start you spinning a little bit, but being able to separate things and start looking at trends and, and what's the norm out of the norm for each kid is what's really important with a lot of it. And it's, uh, yeah, having someone just doing that and then communicating what's necessary is it's worth it, it's priceless. I mean it's priceless. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. I think it's just like, you know, it's like leveraging leveraging people to the top of their talents and not having you do something that someone else who's gonna be able to do it better and faster, <laughs> you oh. know, than, than you can do it. Where, you know, like you and I could look at something and make some nasty Excel spreadsheet, you know, it takes us a while, or you could have somebody else who, like, this is what they do and they're good at it, who can just, like, you know, spit out, like, um, good reports. Oh, yeah. But they're using, like, something different instead of Excel that actually, <laughs> like, gives them what they're supposed to look at. Is, mm-hmm. You know, pivot tables are nice and all, but it, <laughs> it might not give me exactly what I need. So let's let's talk about what the future holds then. So where is your research going now? Yeah, so we have um, a couple months ago we um, applied for an uh, uh, R01 NIH grant to get um, over a million dollars of funding to really kind of um, you know inject a lot of life into this project over the next four years. And um, 
you know, that would, we really need some funding to kind of pay for, the biggest thing is like for developers, so, you know, engineer, computer engineering students and, you know, and faculty to be able to work on developing some more of these algorithms. Um, so we really like to build out, um, you know, other, um, other type of jumps and kind of um, lands and cutting maneuvers to kind of get more of a comprehensive approach. Um, We've, uh, um, uh, Tim Hewitt has agreed to be a, um, a consultant on our project, and so we're pretty excited about that. So that's kind of really the next, you know, where the next steps are with this. And then, and then you know, just talking to other people about it and trying to get other people interested in it. You know, we'd love to, um, some people are interested in it, maybe get out some of our kind of test systems, you know, just to have people kind of look at our one, our one test, our one measurement that we've built out to get feedback, um, you know, as we go forward. Um, and, you know, hopefully, you know, my goal with this is really to everything that we do with this we validate it in the lab so we hook it up we hook a Vicon system up and we have a, and then we hook the connect up and we make sure that what we're measuring is you know accurate against the gold standard and we take it out into the field and so you know I I think that you know right now we're working toward a research as a kind of a research direction you know with this because I want to make I don't want to ever have some product that I am not like 100% confident that it accurately measures things I think that's something that we all are kind of cautious of in this kind of the sports science industry, you know, as you can get cool things and you're like, well, what's this based on? And like, you can never really find answers. And so I want this to be something that, you know, we've, you know, published things on it and that if, you know, we ever get, hopefully someday we'll get to where there's a product that people can easily access, you know, that, that users can be confident, like, okay, this is based on good science. And I know that what I'm, these numbers I'm getting, that these are, these are accurate compared to, you know, the gold standard. That's awesome. So it's just expanding on the the drop, the depth jump test and moving forward and trying to bring that to coaches. Yeah, I mean, I really, you know, the, I mean, the the awesome thing is, I mean, there's, you know, there's potential to have, yeah, you know, a system, you know, available for, you know, if you have your own laptop with a few hundred bucks, you can have the equipment, you know, and the software where you could start testing your athletes and retesting and trying different things. Um, and so that's really what what the goal is to bring bring motion kind of analysis and motion capture um, kind of to the masses. No, that's fantastic. So then after you get through your test and you start your interventions, what other sort of evaluations do you recommend when it would come to this topic? You know, like a lot of people love to talk about return to play. And I think that my issue with return to play uh, is that it's always based off like left versus right. So if we were to sit here and say, when we have a student athlete come in and we want to get baseline measures so we know when they actually are back, you know, quotes, are back, and able to get to 95% or whatever the, the baseline number is now in the literature for return to play, what tests would you I mean, other than this, which obviously is important to identify that there could be a problem, but like the hop stop or things like that, like what do you look at and say, these are important to have when it comes to return to play and rehab? Yeah. Um, you know, we're kind of in a dual track with this kind of injury prevention stuff is where it's natural that the application too is for return to play. And so we're kind of, you know, working on that as well. I mean, so things that we're looking at here is um, also looking at uh, the... Um, a modified star excursion balance test. I'm um, also known some people would call it the Y, you know, the Y balance test mm -hmm. um, as a, as a as a good measure. And I think you bring up a really good point. Like just comparing to the opposite side, 
of someone whose biomechanics are horrible to start with, and that's why they tore their ACL. Like that's not going to do us any, you know, that's going to not going to do us any good because they move terrible on their left, even though they tore their right. <laughs> like you know, we don't want it to be ninety-five percent of the other side. Like it's going to need to be about one hundred and twenty percent of the other side. So I think that that you know, with that kind of having, you're almost going to have to develop. You know, we need to do better about developing norms, kind of expected norms. Um, for you know different age athletes, different sports athletes, different positions possibly, um, and so I mean, so Stark scores and balance test is one. I mean we look at a lot of kind of like um, single leg balance, so kind of dropping off and landing on a single leg, um, and um, you know I'm a big believer in hamstring strength. And if you look at some of the ACL literature, you know I think historically a lot of people would talk about oh like, make sure their quads are strong. Well, if you look at female athletes, you know if they're you know most of the time the problem is that they're quad dominant and if you're quad dominant you can't land softly you're going to land with a hard leg and so trying to get our female athletes really to fire their hamstrings um, is is a really important thing we look at hip um, abductor um, uh, hip external rotation strength so those are some of the you know and then always I mean I think core strength is a really hard thing to measure um, you know kind of consistently but I mean you know working as much as we can on the core is something that we value too. No, that's fantastic. That that's absolutely fantastic because I I couldn't agree more that we always like to say, you know, it's well if they can, you know, do the hop stop and it's 95% of their right leg or their single leg leg press or whatever it may be is 95% then they're ready for the next thing, but what if their 95% of their left leg isn't 95% of what their left leg was before they got hurt? So <laughs> You know, it's not actually 95%. It's actually like 87%. So are we ready to move on or not? And then I think the other thing that just from the performance side that I see as super important that I think all of us overlook is just the technique of movement and how that re-education needs to be part of. Well, I mean, the education initially needs to be a bigger part of what we do in the weight room. And, and what I mean by that is, how do you actually cut? You know, like, how do you come up and put and go? Right, like, we worry so much about, like, oh, you can only break as, you know, you can only run as fast as you can stop. It's like, well, you're not going to run faster than you can't stop because your body's going to tell you you can't run that fast because you can't stop. Mm-hmm. Like, your, your body's not stupid. It doesn't want to die. It's not going to be like, Oh, keep running faster so that you, you know, Forrest Gump didn't slow down because there was a there was a tunnel. If the wall <laughs> was there, Forrest Gump would have slowed down. But we don't teach how to pop off the ground and, and how to be elastic and how to move. And it's not just in rehab. I don't think we do it enough as coaches. And I think that that's another thing, too, that I would be very interested in. And it's to see where that could fit and how that could be more assistive in these situations because it's great if you can jump and land and, and stop but if you're a soccer player or a basketball player and you jump and land and stop well they're going the other way mm-hmm. you know can you and go can you put your foot in the ground and cut without leaving your hip behind you and dropping mm-hmm. your knee in can you lead with your pelvis and get your body moving and it's you know a lot of that comes straight from Dr. Yesus. Um, but yeah, I think that that's kind of like the next step with all of it in, in intermingling what we do together as well. Yeah, I think that, yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I think that the, 
the challenge with one of that is like if we you know if we're trying to change movement patterns of athletes in high school or college is it too late you know like i mean really the ideal i think is um you know what we see what it's been shown um Kevin Ford has done some research on this where, you know, looking at um, on the drop vertical jump, looking at movement patterns of males and females as they kind of go through puberty, you know, and, and it's kind of crazy is that the males kind of, you know, they look kind of about the same as they kind of gain that most that um, muscle kind of strength burst through puberty. And girls, they really kind of drop off as far as they're like, um, or they increase their knee valgus, you know, and they get weak of the, the hips. And so, I mean, I think that, you know, ideally it would be getting kids, you know, like start when they're 12 years old, you know, and, um, you know, as you're really showing kids, you know, trying to train their movement patterns as they're relearning their body as they're going through puberty. Because I do, I do worry that, I mean, you know, for some athletes, like, you know, by the time they get to, you know, they get to, um, you know, even like their, their upperclassmen years of high school or college, is it too late? You know, are these, I mean, we can try to do some things, but, you know, is this this uh, muscle, you know, motor memory, is it just like too entrenched, these poor movement patterns? I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I don't know on that, but it's something I kind of worry about. Oh, no doubt. It's always easier to learn to do it the right way than to have to learn it over again. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. But no, Dr. Gray, this has been absolutely fantastic. I can't thank you enough for spending the time with us today. Um, how can people find you, social media, see what's going on with, with everything you're doing? Yeah, um... Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Mizzou Sports Doc. That's probably um, the best way to get in touch with me <clears throat> for those on Twitter. Um, and if people have questions, you're always welcome to email me too. My email is gray, G-R-A-Y-A-D, A as in apple, D as in dog, at Missouri.edu. Awesome, man. Well, I, thank you so much for spending the time. This is fantastic. We will be in touch real soon. All right. Take care, Jay. Yep, thanks. And a huge thank you to today's guest, University of Missouri's Dr. Aaron Gray. Guys, I mean, bringing all of these things together and incorporating it to now evaluate and look at the risk factors that we may have when, it, when we're dealing with these student-athletes is, is absolutely fantastic. And then tying it into what we already know, right? We know the one-and-a-half times body weight idea when it comes to depth jumps. Now we can even look at it with these kids and say, is that actually what we need? When we get there, are they actually ready or are there other qualities that we need to develop within them as well? And I, I it's really awesome. I, I can't thank Dr. Gray enough for taking the time. I'm really excited to see where this project continues to go because it, it does sound like something that's quick, it's inexpensive, and it sounds really effective in, in allowing us to understand what we could do to help assist the athlete uh and again i gotta thank dr mann for setting this up and again you know guys I, I really hope you enjoyed the talk as much as i did and if you did please share it in the social media outlet of your choice if you have any questions thoughts comments you know leave them below i'll uh, shoot them right over to dr gray you know you can hit him up on twitter he's always open to talking guys and it, it was it was absolutely fantastic and i hope this helped you out and uh you know, guys, thank you again for being part of what we're doing here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.